Dublin's Talking Sport. Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. My God, what a week you've had. Hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the started with the protesters. The funny thing is about the protesters, that, well, one of the, I was commentating on one of the, on one of the tables at the time, but um, they buy VIP tickets to the Century Club, bought them over a year ago, and um, he took a picture of me in the Century Club, the guy that jumped at the table. Uh, so I met him earlier, and the, the reason they bought this, the uh, tickets for the Century Club, which is VIP, it's dinner and everything, you know, beforehand. Mm. But because they sit in the front row, you know, so this was meticulously planned, like uh, almost a year ago, um, so they could sit in the front row, and that was easy access, jumping over the, over the barrier, or whatever, the front row, and then onto the table. But I could see everything, you yeah. know. The minute he did it, I saw him jump over and open the, the bag of dust, whatever he had in his, uh, uh, under his short, and uh, the other girl on our side. She tried to do the same, but it wasn't quick enough. And then the referee grabbed her in time. So he was holding her until somebody else came in. They lifted her out. You know, it was quite dramatic. Yeah, it certainly looked it on the on the you know the, the pictures uh, said a lot. I mean, you, you know, you have to wonder why snooker was targeted, but I suppose it's yeah. just a way of getting on the TV and 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 getting uh, getting seen. I suppose. Yeah, I, I think it was. I mean, it was, got nothing to do with stopping oil or whatever like that. It was. It was quite bizarre, but it was an easy target. It was live on the BBC, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was shocking because what happened was the two guys that were were playing, uh, of course, they couldn't play in the table. They tried to hoover up, but it was the table was damaged. It was the claw was damaged. Yeah, how long did it take to clear the place up? Because I was wondering about that afterwards. It seemed to leave leave an awful mess. You know, it got would have got right into the grain of the cloth. It did. Yeah, yeah. Did they recover it? Well, what happened was they, they tried to clean it off and then they just stopped playing for the night on that table. They lifted the um, the, the, uh, the curtain and then so they could um, they could watch the other game. The other game came out. It was about after about half an hour or so. Mm. Uh, and then they recovered. So those guys played their second session for us and then, and then their, um, their, their real... Their, that session they were supposed to play that night, they played on Thursday morning, which was normally reserved for no play. Okay. So they came and back and they played a half nine. And unfortunately for Joe Perry, he was seven two up after the first session. When they came back for the second session on the morning, Thursday morning, uh, he ended up losing ten nine. Robert Mills came back from seven two. Yeah, it had to affect yeah. Joe Perry the the rhythm yeah. and the form. Absolutely. You know, I uh, felt sorry for both players. Yeah, they deserved to have like two good sessions in front of a packed crowd. Uh, but the second session came back to the go to some of the people that could come back. I mean. A lot of those people that were at that side of the match, and it's about four fifty um, on that side, four fifty on the other, uh, that they they might not have been able to come back. Like you know, mm-hmm. yeah, so well. it was very sparse on the on the Thursday morning. The atmosphere wasn't as good, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was bizarre, and there was obviously no damage done on the other table. She didn't get the glue uh, any on any no. of the table or anything like that. Okay, yeah, no, so. I think she had a bag as well, but she couldn't get it out quick okay. enough. Um, I mean, the referee uh, reacted. Olivier Martelli, he was so quick, yeah, fair yeah. place. And, you 
yeah. I suppose the bigger question then, Ken, is I, I heard it said during the week, is this going to affect the way we get to view future future snooker tournaments? Yeah. The fact yeah. that players, you know, if there was a crazy person who wanted to hurt yeah. one of the players, they jumped over the barrier and, and, and you know, with a knife yeah. or something, I don't know. Had, if they had anything more sinister, yeah. just a, like a bag of dust. Now, everybody has searched. They've ramped up the security. Uh, and everybody was searched beforehand. But, I mean, as I said, he was in the VIP. Could have had it anywhere, that bag of dust. Mm. And um, but they have ramped up security, so they've got guys now on the stairs. And but even if you're sitting in the front row, if the, if the security were on the stairs, it'd be easy to jump over. Like yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting yeah, yeah. to see what it's going to result yeah. in from a security point of view. Hopefully, it, it won't mean that yeah, people are exactly. behind barriers or something. You know, I uh, know uh, that would be terrible because that would take away from what the cruise was all about. Yeah, yeah. And I hope that others don't see it as a an opportunity as an easy target. Yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it was terrible, really. But anyway, yeah. um, but anyway, the but snooker has been pretty incredible. It's been amazing. Yeah. A little bit more controversy with the Ronnie uh, O'Sullivan <laughs> yeah. Hussein Vifai uh, game, the big breaks, the smash off thing. Um, lots of talk all over Twitter about it. It's a bit of an odd one. It is, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, he, he's done it here at the World Championships against the greatest player that's probably ever played. You know, he stoked up the fire. He said. You know, because he, well, he's one of those players. In all fairness, you know, he's because Ronnie over the years has been quite controversial. You know, the way he slags off players, he slags off the game at times. You know, whatever mood he might be in, mm. and he sort of said, "Well, you know, if he doesn't want to play, you know, don't play." You know, or you know, he said he was a nice fellow when he was asleep. <laughs> That's what he said about. But, but what triggered it? But so was, was Ronnie saying stuff during the week? Before the match, I know the last time they played off, yeah. Ronnie did something similar when they were he was losing four yeah. nil or something. He yeah. just wanted to go home. But yeah. is that what triggered it, or was it something else happened during no, the that's week? What triggered it? Okay, yeah. all right. And I think Hussain sort of took offence with some of the stuff that Ronnie would say, you know, and mm. because Hussain, you know, the game, you know, he always sort of picks up the game, and and a lot of players would be really chased off with Ronnie because yeah. of some of the controversial stuff that he says, you know, even though he's our most talked about, our best player ever, you know, you wouldn't have a federate doing that, you wouldn't have other, the greats of other sports, yeah. you know, sometimes like, giving out about the game at times, you know, but he's very controversial, Ronnie, you know. But it's hard, it's uh, hard to, still brilliant. you know, you'd, you'd wonder why Hussain would hand him a frame though, I mean, giving him the advantage, imagine his attitude would be, I'm going to go yeah. out and beat this guy and teach Absolutely. him a lesson. Yeah. Uh, the opposite was in fact, he just handed him a frame. He handed him a frame. He lost the first frame, smashed him up in the second frame. Yeah. Uh, lost that. And was 6-1 down at one stage. He managed to win the last frame to go 6-2. But yes, yeah, the wrong place to do it, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, okay. This is the World Championship. It wasn't. It's not a qualifier where it happened when Ronnie O'Sullivan did it to him. So, yeah. uh, no, not the time. The time and the place. Just go out and try and beat Ronnie without trying to hand him a frame. Pick your battles, as they say. Exactly, uh, exactly. Well, I tell you, it's been a great tournament so far. Uh, mm. Disappointed. I like him, Mark Williams, to see him going out. Luca Brazel beating him 13 11. Um, so sad to see Mark Williams going out. Yeah, one of and, the and, greats. One of the greats. A bit of a surprise, that result, or? Fair yeah, enough? big surprise. Yeah. I, didn't think, I didn't give him much uh, hope. I mean, Luca Brazel said he, he's only practiced for about 15 minutes before this World Championship. <laughs> I don't believe that for a minute. Yeah. Um, and he played brilliant to beat Williams. He beat 13 11 in the end. They had a great, they had a great match. And I, I actually. So Williams had a really good outside chance. The winner of that match was playing the winner of the Ronnie match. So 
But Ronnie played really well yesterday as well. He, you know, he scored well against the Hussein. So six two, I can't see Ronnie losing there. You know, so Luca will play Ronnie in the in the quarterfinals next. Yeah, yeah, and there's been some interesting results. Had a lot of surprises. Yeah, there you know. have. Yeah, um, you know, go through them there. But I mean, some big names yeah. out already. Yeah, uh, Ali Carter lost to um, Jack Jones, who's who's beating at the moment former world champion Neil Robertson. Neil Robertson, another Craig surprise. Well, he had two one four sixes in his match. Yeah, and we've had a one four seven. That's and, right. Uh, Corey Wilson's had his one four seven already. Um, yeah, Sean Murphy as well lost to Mor- or beat Murphy. Yeah, yeah, that was a huge ten uh, nine. That was a huge um, surprise as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've had a bit of everything. But we still have some great players in there. Of course, Selby's in there. Mark Allen, I'm commentating on him this morning. He's beaten uh, Bingham. Yeah, well, he has the job more. done pretty much, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All over. Stuart, yeah. um, Neil, well, Neil Robertson, as you yeah. mentioned, that's that's a big one. Jack Jones getting the, the that one done. The one I'm looking forward to uh, is is the the Kyron Wilson uh, against Higgins John, game. John Higgins, that yeah. should be brilliant. That starts out today. Yeah, yeah, that should be a cracker. Absolutely. Yeah. And the winner will play possibly Selby uh, in the second uh, in the quarterfinals. You know, and then you've got Mark Allen in the other quarter. He will play Neil Robertson or Jack Jones. As I said, Neil Robertson in big trouble. I was commentating on that last night. He lost the uh, he lost six of the eight frames. He's ten six down, first thirteen. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, the other interesting match is the Robert Milkins, who, as you said, uh, winning his one, but against CJ who who's beaten yeah. uh, um, Murphy in that that one. So, I mean, a, a, an amazing potter of the ball, uh, CJ who Hugh, yeah. maybe not quite as. Um, Orthodox as, as some of the players, you know, but yeah, uh, yeah, what yeah. a potter and some of the shots very he takes on. Very effective and very sort of, uh, you know, for his first time here, nerveless, like, you know, he just played brilliant snooker. I mean, Murphy has come into this championship, one of the best players of the season and, uh, you know, was tipped by a lot of people to go really well, but uh, he might just outpot him, outpot him and just made some great breaks and held his nerve and looked very comfortable out there for someone for his very first time. It's brilliant. Great to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Ronnie, of course, if he gets the job done against the same, which everybody thinks he probably will, will be playing yeah. Luca Purcell uh, in the quarterfinals. And that's one you'd imagine would be, uh, I won't say handy, but you'd expect a win there for, for Ronnie, uh, no question yeah. about it. So it feels like it's um, opening up for Ronnie it just is. to keep it the is, head yeah. down and get to that final. Yeah, absolutely. I think he'll, he'll be his I think he'll beat Purcell as well. I mean, Purcell will be tailor made from even though Purcell played really well against Williams. I think uh, the way he's playing, Ronnie, so that would put him into the semi final where he'd possibly play Jack Lazowski, Anthony McGill. Yeah, Milkins are CJ Hill. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. you cannot, can't see him not getting to at least the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of the remaining other players uh, who has struck you as having the best form at the moment, who do you think might make it all the way? I think Selby looks really good. Mark okay. Allen looks really good. They're about in the bottom half. Yeah. Yeah, Robertson, if you can dig himself out of his hole from 10 6 behind, he would play Mark Allen. That would be a cracking quarterfinal, you know. Yeah. But if uh, the way he's playing at the moment and the way Jack Jones is playing, yeah. it'd be very, very difficult to turn that around. But he has a chance. He did it before. He was 11 5 down in 2010. He checked out a hotel against Martin Gould. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he checked out a hotel. He went to play his, his last. Uh, the last session from 11-5 down and mm. won 13-12 <laughs> and went on to win the World Championship so you never know what can happen.
and slept in the car for the rest of the tournament, didn't he? <laughs> 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 yeah, well, it's been brilliant. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, speaking of checking out, did you enjoy the United game during the week? Oh, shocking, wasn't it? <laughs> the Haya and Maguire. Oh, oh man, that's just it's what just, were they doing? Don't just know. put your life through it, the Haya. But as well as that, I think uh, Marcia, I've looked at videos afterwards that were put up online. It seemed like Maguire kind of took him out as well and caused him to get injured. Um, yeah. There was another defensive um, moment as well where Maguire seemed to be pulling, uh, I can't remember who it was he knocked over. He kind of grabbed him by the shoulder and knocked his own player over as well. Yeah. Uh, and I hate going hard on Harry Maguire because I think he's a nice guy and he seems to come yeah. across as a nice guy, but he's just having a rough run of it at the moment. And, um, he's having a terrible time of it. Yeah, Terrible but time. but but he's not the only one though. I mean, no, it, it was one. brutal performance. And to be fair to Sevilla, I watched the whole match. Was like from a Sevilla point of view, they they, they really wanted. It. They went out yeah. there and they just played fantastic football and got stuck in. Uh, yeah. But United were just so lacking across the Very board. Tame. Very yeah. tame, all across the pitch. Yeah, they, yeah, and I think you know from the first leg, they they had them dead and buried two 0 Should have been three or four. Let them come back in, gave them hope. And yeah, they did. They played really well. They harassed, they worked as a real team, they got on top of it. The crowd were brilliant as well there. And United just folded. They folded like a cheap tent, Reggie. Mm, they did, yeah. There was no doubt about it. They didn't look they didn't look the part. Um no. they've got a big match now on Sunday as well. It's the semi final of the cup. Yeah. And Man City are playing Sheffield United today and of course they're playing tomorrow against Brighton, which would be a real tough one as well. I'm going to start this week with the underage team's progress. The under-21 footballers booked their place in the second consecutive Leinster final against Kildare after Jim Lehane's Young Blues beat Meath by four points in their semi-final in Navan on Tuesday night. 14 points to 10 was the full-time score in that one. The final is down for decision next Tuesday night at Netwatch Cullen Park in Carlow with a 7.30pm start. We here at Dublin's Talking Sport wish the players and management all the best as they look to wrestle the provincial title back from the Lily Whites. Really done well so far in this year's championship. Staying with under 20 but moving to hurling, they continue their impressive run in the O'Neills.com championship. They followed up on the win previously against Galway with a home success at the expense of Wexford. 120 to 15 points at Parnell Park. Jamie Conroy with the goal. They are back in action this afternoon. Their clash with Kilkenny acts as a curtain raiser to the Cats' senior clash with Westmead and Nolan Park. The action in the under-20 game gets underway in the Marble City at 4pm. Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, is with us this morning to look ahead to Dublin Seniors Championship campaign a little bit later uh, in the programme. But Sean, I know that uh, you were in Parnell Park last Saturday for Dublin's clash with Wexford and were very impressed with what you saw over the course of the hour. It was, Declan, definitely. Uh, obviously, the, the previous game they, they were against Galway, they were well beaten, but came all the way back from one twelve to 5 points down. And last Saturday was a reversal of that, where we got ahead and we never let her hand off the throat. We just pushed Wexford down and, and won by 8 points. Great performance by the lads. Yeah, tough place to go to Nolan Park, though, today to, to face uh, Kilkenny. So the best of luck to the lads there in that particular one. Well, Championship 2023 may have started a couple of weeks ago, but it really kick-starts this weekend with our senior footballers and hurlers both making opening appearances in the Leinster Championship. The hurlers are away this afternoon to Antrim, in Antrim rather, to 
to, to face Belfast in Antrim, I should say. And our footballers tomorrow travel south to face Leash in Port Leash. As I say, Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, is with us. We'll be looking ahead to that a little bit later. But we start this week with footballers. After seven wins out of eight in the league, which yielded promotion to Division 1 and the Division 2 title, it's championship time for Desi Farrell, who starts out on his fourth campaign since replacing Jim Gavin. Omar Park in Port Leash hosts the clash with the Midlanders from 3.30. Joining me now on the line to look ahead to the Dublin prospects for the championship is former Dublin skipper Coleman Goggins. Good morning, Coleman. Thanks indeed for joining us once again on the programme. Hi Declan, how are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Good to talk to you again, my friend. And you too. As I said in the introduction, the league produced promotion and the Division 2 crown overall, which was the objective of the exercise. What did you make of the development of the team throughout the course of the league, Common? Um, yeah, they, put, they definitely improved as the league ran on, I, I guess, Declan. I was uh, at the Clare game in Crow Park and you were left scratching your head at times at some of the... Uh, some of the problems that Clare were causing and that's not being disrespectful to Clare but the lack of maybe cut that Dublin had until the last whatever 10 or 15 minutes maybe when they, they really chased after the game to, to get a result so you, you were probably wondering where Dublin were heading to then they went up to Derry obviously and looked like they were doing exceptionally well in the first half put in a really good performance didn't deliver across the second half ended up losing the game and, and again you're, you're wondering where exactly the team were at but I think over the last you know couple of league games <clears throat> And obviously, we won't have seen them until you know Sunday afternoon, since the league has wrapped up. I think over the last last couple of games, they were a little bit quicker in terms of their movement of the ball, getting it into that inside line where the trouble really can be caused and the damage done. Um, while maybe some of the goals were fortuitous enough against Derry in the league final, that there was certainly a quicker movement of the ball that maybe wasn't there earlier in the league. So, Desi would be happy where they're at. I suppose the, the players themselves will know that they need to keep lifting their game as the championship develops but I think they're they're improving game on game and hopefully that will be reflected again over at 3.30 on Sunday or throughout the 70 minutes on Sunday anyway Yeah the side was named yesterday in response to the new system of squad announcements on a Friday and of course it comes with an advisory note of caution as it always does the 15 listed show some surprises I suppose particularly you could say in the forward division with the likes of Collie Baskell and, and Ross McGarry named but uh, I think everybody knows it's probably not the 15 that's going to start the game tomorrow afternoon Yeah well I suppose that's you know dummy teams or whatever way you want to call them have been a, a team across the GA for a long time um, so you're switching numbers out particularly when you're working on games it becomes very difficult because you have your programme you think you're all set to go and all of a sudden there's four or five changes and you're Penciling in numbers left, right, and centre. You know, Colin Pascal has been very good uh, in his league appearances. He's been very strong. Ross McGarry, be, if he, if a team plays and is lined out, would be hopeful to get on on ball and get some scores and try and generate a bit of momentum in terms of his own play. Uh, and, and obviously, we can't second guess what way the team is going to tug out on Sunday. But in in general, I think you know that where Dublin have lost some of the quality is in their attacking division. We'd say whereby you know. You know, Bernard Brogans and Dermot Connollys and all those guys since they've moved on there hasn't been that flow through of the underage talent just yet that will hopefully fill the gaps there whereas defensively the likes of Lee Gannon Darren Newcomb coming in are adding to the experience that's already there and, and driving that on a little bit and then you've got the likes of Jack McCaffrey sitting in the background Mick Fitz not being named within the squad is, is I won't say it's a concern obviously he's injured or there's something going on there potentially uh, where he hasn't managed to get into the squad, so he'll be a big loss because he's been such a figurehead in that Dublin defence over the last you know ten years. Uh, so look, we won't know, I suppose, until three thirty what the exact team is. But I, I wouldn't be 
you know, if it's lined out as named as we see it, I wouldn't be overly fearful that the guys picked won't do a job for us on the weekend. Of course, then we had the return of your former colleague Stephen Cluxton as well for, for the loud game, which generated so much uh, excitement. Paul Mannion, of course, back as well, which, which is great to see with a, an All-Ireland club medal with Kilmacud Crokes in his back pocket as well. But one of the intriguing things about Dublin, I suppose, Coleman, is the midfield area. Obviously, Brian Fenton is the first name on the team sheet week in, week out. But... Uh, the question about who may partner him going forward. Tom Lehiff, uh, the St. Jude's club man, is listed at the moment, but I suppose there's always the possibility James McCarthy will make the move from wing back to midfield to play there. I mean, if you were the Dublin management or Dublin manager picking a team for this game and others going forward, who would you partner Brian Fenton with? Uh, I, th- I think Tom has been very good. He he's knows his role within the, the team, and I think that's been great for, for Brian. It's allowed him to get on a lot more ball, and you see him a lot more in attacking zones. Um, and James, obviously, you could play James anywhere, and you know what you're going to get with him. He's, he's just such a competitor. He's phenomenal, really. Uh, I, I think you, we would have seen with James, I think the Brendan Rogers score in the league game that, that won the game for Derry. Uh, probably irked Dublin a little bit in the manner in that score was conceded so I know that they were probably tuned in on not allowing that type of score when they met them in the league final so James in the middle of the field again different player to what Tom does they both complement what Brian Fenton does and I think that focus and drive that James has every time he plays you know gives you something different in around the middle of the field that then opens up a slot across the back line where if Jack McCaffrey's pace come into play there, then there's a suddenly a different dimension to how Dublin play. Because that role, you know, drive from the half back line, you think of the Mayo teams who didn't manage to get over the lines with the Paddy Durkins and Keith Higgins and Lee Keegans flying out from half back lines. That's where you build this huge momentum and create overlaps that generate goal scoring chances. So if you were able to put James midfield, Jack starts and wing back, you, you give yourself then this additional lift around middle of the field but also then this pace that drives through from the defence so I don't you know that's not meant again Tom Lehiff has been brilliant for Dublin throughout the league I think as the team is named if you assumed it started that way Tom Lehiff compliments Brian Fenton very well but I think as the championship progresses you could very well see James McCarthy landing in the middle of the field and Tom Lehiff still playing but maybe doing a different role for the team uh, it's great to have the championship back, isn't it? I mean, even though it's so early, of course, in, in, in April, but uh, to be heading down to Amore Park tomorrow afternoon with the, the smell of the fresh-cut grass in your nostrils and all the rest of it, hopefully we can get the weather down there tomorrow afternoon as well. Coleman, thanks very much indeed for your time this morning. Good to talk to you again and hopefully catch up with you during the course of the championship. No problem, Declan. Enjoy the game. Thank you very much, Neil. Going to meet them got there to Coleman Goggins, former Dublin skipper, joining us on the line uh, to discuss Dublin's uh, prospects there in 2023. The best of luck indeed to Desi and the boys down there tomorrow afternoon. We're going to turn our attention to Hurling now and Michal Donoghue's debut as manager of the Capital Stickmen in Championship. Hurling, certainly in a lot of respects, couldn't have asked for a tougher opener than Antrim away in Corrigan Park, Belfast, this afternoon from 2 o'clock. Here to look at the prospects for this one and the year ahead is our good friend Hurling analyst Sean Lane. Good morning once again, Sean. Welcome back to the programme. Thanks, Declan. Uh, we've played Antrim twice this year in the Walsh Cup and in the league. Uh, both games produced wins at Parnell Park, but a completely different ball game travelling north to play the Saffron men. And it certainly doesn't get any tougher as a championship opener. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with you, Declan, because the, the pressure 
Um, you know, if you look at the Leinster Championship, you'll be saying Galway, Kenny, Wexford, or Dublin, and straight away you, you look at your your fixtures and you're away in Corrigan Park to Antrim. Not a nice place to start. Darren Gleeson will be looking at this fixture for the last four or five months or however long he knows it, saying, look, this is one I'm going to earmark to try and put a marker down. You know, full knowledge he's not going to win a league final, so he's, you know, players. This is a really hard place to start and we need to get this right. The team was selected or announced yesterday. A couple of surprises thrown in. I think four debutants in, in, in total. What did you make of Michal's first selection of a championship team? Yeah, well, look at I, I suppose Michal when he started out, Declan. There was eight, you know, defectors from the team, so he really had to start from scratch, throw out what what he'd seen, and and, and start with a blank page. He starts Mark Grogan, uh, cornerback, who's a smashing player. I've seen him playing with Croaks, but it's actually his very first game being selected league or championship for Dublin. So that's a huge call. But I've every um, every faith in that he'll do a good job. Equally, he's Owen O'Donnell and Paddy Smith behind him, so it's actually a very strong full back line. The, the other two in the middle of the park, Connor Donoghue, Chris O'Leary. They're two big guys. They've contributed very well in the league um, for breaking ball. There's certainly a link between the half-back line and the forward line. And they've chipped in both of them, particularly Chris O'Leary with a score or two uh, every day they've gone out. So no, no real I- I issues with those. Paddy Doyle, Conor Burke, Dara Gray, that'll be a line I'll be watching. You know That, that will be... You know, balls raining down them from puck outs. That'd be a very, very hard line to play in up in Corrigan Park, and that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. You can't uh, underestimate, of course, the importance of a first round win to get your championship going because you certainly don't want to be behind the eight ball after, after your first game. Well, there's no doubt about that. And, and Declan, this is there's two sides to this coin. If you lost to Galway or you lost to Kilkenny in the first game, you'd say, and, and Wexford are playing uh, Galway, as we know, over in Pierce Stadium, uh, you know, you'd be saying to yourself, well, okay, look, we can make up for that. But if you, you know, lose your first game or even draw your first game to Antrim and you still have Kilkenny and Galway to play, you're really putting your place in jeopardy in the top three. Um, you know, you, you're going to really, really struggle. So I, I think, and you've always alluded to this on the show, that Dublin's lack of goal scoring, um, you know, whether it's, you know, whether we can improve on it. If you look at the team, the inside forward line, you know, we got three great goals, as I would say. Uh, we got a penalty by, by um, Donald Burke against Warford, but Keno Sullivan got two smashing goals that day. He's playing full forward. Paul Crummy got a smashing goal against Kilkenny where he got a ball in in, in the corner, came out and stuck it in the bottom corner. So he's after picking the the three the guys that got the goals in the league. He's actually after picking the two of them. So I, I think Michal's strategy is certainly let's get the ball into him. Alex Considine is the other corner forward starting. He's also taken on the last back as well when he gets possession. So, you know, I, I think Michal is was full sure that this is going to be a big challenge. We need people um, that are going to stand up and we certainly need goals. Donald Burke getting 14 or 15 points, always welcome. But that along with four or five more lads chipping in with a point just mightn't be enough to win tomorrow So or, or this afternoon. So we will need goals and I think Michal has picked team to, to, to get goals. But he also has Ronan Hayes on the bench, Declan, which is... Uh, you know, is is key. I, I think if Ronan is fully fit and he brings him in last twenty, twenty five minutes, he'll also be a yeah. goal threat. Nice Virgil Whiteley there to be potentially brought in uh, as well. It's Westmead at home and Parnell Park next week. And then of course our two other home games have been moved to Crow Park against Wexford, which I think is a pivotal and key game in this championship and Galway as well at the end of May. We've spoken on the issue before about playing at Croker. Um what overall again? What what are your thoughts on the decision to move those two games to headquarters? 
I, I think they're a good decision. Now, I, let me balance this. If I was in my third year managing Dublin and I was under pressure, I probably would have played him in Crow Park. But Michal has started out, as I said, with a blank piece of paper. He's four deputants. There's eight guys, that, you know, including Keno Callahan, you know, Crummy, um, Paul Crummy gone, so, you know, or um, Chris Crummy, I should say. So, like, he had to start there. So, he's probably putting down a marker, you know, over the next three years, he said, I'm going to have to really perform to the best of our ability in a Leinster final, an All Ireland quarterfinal in Crow Park. So I think it's a very, very good strategy to say there, well, look, let's get used to Crow Park. Let's get two championship matches there. Let's try and qualify for a Leinster final, obviously, but if we don't, an All-Ireland quarterfinal. Let's have another game maybe in Torles or in Crow Park. Next year, do the same. We might get the three games. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, you're saying to yourself, well, OK, now we're, we're maturing as a team. We have a lot of young lads on the under-20s this year. We also have a few more of, of, of Paul O'Brien's under-20s that went to an All-Ireland final. We have to bring a few of them still in. Uh, once he gets all them in over the next 18 months I think having 6 or 7 championship matches in Crow Park will stand to us mm. Well there's no doubt about it, what a win would do for confidence to, to hurling in, in the county this afternoon up there in Corrigan Park from 2 o'clock, we wish Michal and the boys every success uh, up there this afternoon as well and we say good morning as well to the friends of Dublin Hurling supporters who are on the bus to Belfast this morning as well no doubt tuned in to us as well, their AGM by the way takes place this Monday, April the 24th in Parnell Park at 7.30 and we've also been asked by Maura Scully, the Rooney there to inform you again of the Golf Classic which takes place on May the 18th which is a Thursday, I believe, out in Castle Warden. There are a few places left. The team of four costs €400 Euro and includes lunch as well. Uh, for details of this and sponsorship opportunities uh, call 087 2797 279790. Got a meal tomorrow there for providing us with that information. Well, we talked to Coleman there, Sean, about the smell of the fresh cut grass and the nostrils and all the rest of it for Championship, albeit in April, which is strange in many respects, even though this is the sort of second year of it. But we have some other cracking games to look forward to briefly in the uh, Hurling Championship this weekend. Yeah, just finish off in, in Leinster. I mean, Galway at home to Wexford. Wexford aren't going well there's no there's no secret in that I think Henry Shefflin is a long way down the road we talked about the top 12 hurling teams in, in, in Ireland there's six new managers but Henry Shefflin is on the second year he learned a lot last year remember Galway were the same as Kilkenny they, they were within a puck of a ball of, of beating Limerick last year in all Ireland semi-final they'll have learned so I, I fancy Galway to beat Wexford and that and I, I, I would fancy Galway and Kilkenny to go on a Leinster final mm. two big games in Munster I'll do them quickly Walford home to Limerick uh, the Limerick team I've seen the Limerick team I only went as far as number 7 and I can tell you <laughs> I, if I was the Walford goalie I wouldn't wear to puck the ball yeah. uh, they're so so strong and so so big so I expect Limerick to overcome Walford there and this time last year Clare went up to Torles and, and beat Tipperary and beat them well with a couple of early goals and a late goal before half time they had three goals scored in the first half my recollection but you know Liam Cal is in there another new manager uh, I, I just think Tipper are, 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 are on a bit of a high I watched the under 20 game last night they they seem to give Limerick a right trouncing in it but then let them back into the game but I just think Tipperary Hurling is on the lift and they're going to be very dangerous this year and certainly I would see them to whip in All-Ireland over the next two or three years with the new with the new manager and the particular squad he has. Interesting one this afternoon Nolan Park after the Dublin under-20s play Kilkenny at four o'clock Kilkenny seniors are playing Westmead it's the first time since 1999 that the great man 
Brian Cody won't be on the touchline for Kilkenny so a lot of pressure on, on, on Derek Lynn going into that got to the league final disappointed against Limerick um, 12 months ago Waterford won the Allianz National League may I remind you kind sir that you tipped <laughs> them to win the All-Ireland <laughs> uh, I suppose if you tip this year's National League winners to win the All-Ireland you won't be too far off the mark in terms of Limerick they just look awesome they do, Declan, and, and, and you're right. I mean, and I, I, I was surprised. I remember being at the All Ireland final last year. I, I mean, Kenny only lost by a point, which surprised me. It was one, one thirty, I think, to two, whatever, twenty three or something like that. Or, um, you know, they were very, very close. And, and and you know that has to be the legacy of Brian Cody. Just never give up, never say die. Keep at it. Keep hooking. Keep blocking. Keep chasing. And that's great for a Kilkenny team to have that because once it comes into the stick work end of it, Kilkenny have great, t- uh, you know, great stick work and can have a great scoring potential. Uh, I watched them in the league. I, I thought they were poor against Tipperary in the league, uh, but I thought they were awful in the in the league final. Yes. They'll know that themselves. They will beat Westmead. I still think they'll progress to a Leinster final, but maybe they won't feature an All Ireland final this year. Ooh, early predictions. I love it at 20 minutes to 10 on a Saturday morning. Write that down, folks. Don't worry. I will remind them in a few months' time. Sean, thanks very much indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Good to see you once again, my friend, and uh, enjoy the, the weekend's hurling. Well, OK, time to turn our attention to football now. Delighted to be joined by the one and only Alan Cawley. Declan Trick is going to stay with me as well. Morning, Alan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Reggie. Declan, how are we? All right? All good here. All good this end. An interesting uh, results in the SEC last night. Uh, Pats going down to Rovers uh, 2-0. Um, disappointment for Pats. Rovers will be happy to get back on that winning track as, again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a huge win because when you think of the form that St. Pat's have been in the last few weeks, obviously four wins on the bounce and beating Bohemians away from home last week as well. That was a difficult uh, fixture for Shamrock Rovers. But to come away with a 2-0 win, Reggie, away from home against one of your rivals, a uh, big Dublin rival as well, I think that's a massive result for Shamrock Rovers. And um, It's just looking ominous for the other teams. I know they drew against Shelburne last week and they fought back from 2-0 down, but that's I think that's five wins out of the last six. So uh, it looks like they're back on track, Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, Dick. The thing about it, Alan, was last night, they were, they were one up thanks to a great strike by Johnny Kenny. And then Pats came out in the second half very strong on, on the front foot in their bid to get back into the game. Had a couple of great chances. And within, I think, 60 seconds of their second chance that they had, which they spurned, Rovers went down the other end of the field and Trevor Clark sent a pile driver to the roof for the Pats net all over 2-0. That's, that's just the, the fine margins at mm. this level of the game. Yeah, 100% Declan and I suppose as you say it is the fine margins and if you don't take your chances against the top team when they get theirs they'll punish you and that's exactly what Shamrock Rovers have goals all over the team as well Trevor Clark who hasn't really featured that much this season comes into the team and obviously gets a goal Johnny Kenny who's been in and out himself but they just have such threats all over the pitch really yeah, Shelburne as well. Uh, ten men, Shelburne, managing to get that uh, one-all draw with Dundalk. I suppose they'll be happy to get the point, uh, considering they're down to ten men, but at home they probably would have felt that was one they could win. Yeah, they would have fancied their chances going into it because they've been on a decent run of form, Shelburne, uh, Reggie, and obviously that big result against Shamrock Rovers last week, even though they were 2-0 up, still to come away with a 2-2 draw, they would have went into the game of confidence, and as you say, at home as well. But they went down to ten men after ten minutes with Shane Farrell, a silly little incident really, when they conceded a penalty and he got involved with Keith Ward and he did raise his hands and I don't think the referee had any opportunity even though it was a, it was a silly thing to do 
Um, but with 10 men, again, it showed all the resilience and character that, that this Shelburne team has because if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, there were 10 men against Derry City as well for the whole of the second half and they were outstanding, Reggie, uh, with 10 men. So it was something similar last night even with 10 men, they, they still showed all that character. They took the lead as well. They got a penalty themselves, took the lead. And you're thinking maybe just with the organisation that they could maybe hang on. But it was probably just a little bit too long to try and hang on. Mm. In the sense they were down to 10 men for the cuts of 75, 80 minutes. And Dundalk obviously were pushing on and got the equaliser. But I think Damien Duff, and, and he, he's already aware of this, it wouldn't have needed last night to show him. But he does have serious character amongst, amongst those boys. Good, honest bunch of lads. Work hard. But the fact that they're not just giving themselves an opportunity with keeping 11 men on the pitch is probably costing them at the moment. Yeah, they're not too far behind, though. I mean, it's not panic stations yet. I mean, you know, 10 points off the lead. But, I mean, you know, second place is only 19 points. So they're not that far off the pace. No, absolutely, Reggie. And, and they were never going to be title contenders. So I wouldn't worry about who's in the lead. But for them to maybe challenge for Europe, I think that's a target for them and a very achievable target because bar Shamrock Rovers you look around amongst all the other teams it's much of a muchness really with the teams um, I know Bohemians we'll probably speak about them in a moment and obviously they've had a brilliant start to the season and, and the longer that goes on they'll try and maintain that and maybe look at a title challenge but prior to the start of the season you wouldn't have had Shelburne up challenging you wouldn't have had Bohemians maybe challenging for the title you certainly would have had them challenging for Europe and I think that's a very achievable target for both those teams especially Shelburne as well yeah, well, Bowes, as you mentioned there, um, didn't slip up. It's a tricky one going away to draw. It always is. They got a 2 0 victory in that. But they're, uh, they're plodding along well, just getting, getting the job done on a weekly basis. And as I said, five points clear of Derry City in second place. Yeah, and from reading reports as well, Reggie, it's a good description of, of you saying plodding along. By all accounts, they weren't great in the second half. Uh, one of their worst performances I was reading in reports from plenty of people uh, but they got the job done which is all important especially going away from home and draw they're having a very good season themselves as you say it is a difficult place to go but um, to come away with the three points 2-0 win clean sheet that's a big win just maintains the form keeps the momentum going and as I say the longer they can stay up there the more they'll start to believe but as I say if you're realistic about it you'd never have them down to maybe challenge for a title but as I say just maintain that form keep it going they're well ahead of schedule in terms of where Declan probably would have wanted them. As I said, the, the most realistic target for them at the start of the season would have been get into Europe and it, they're still bang on track for that. What would you think, Al, the biggest uh, ingredient to the success they've had so far is there at Daniel Park this season? Because they've been outstanding in, in, in some games and the table doesn't lie, as they say, either. Yeah, I think um, it's a mixture of a couple of things. And one thing that Declan demands, and it's something similar with Damien Duff, is that unity and spirit and he's a really good motivator I know Declan quite well he's a really good motivator I said getting fellas to play for him and, and rowing in behind everything that's going on off the pitch with Bohemians as well in terms of the community and the fans have really taken to, to Declan as well because of that approach obviously he's brought in some very good players as well uh, who were doing very well at the moment um, and, and the fact that they've got off to such a good start Declan it can be, it can be, it can go two ways. Really, like they could have struggled at the start of the season trying to gel new players together, but the fact that they've hit the ground running has given them a major boost of confidence. The fans have rode in behind it as well, and once you build up that momentum, it's hard to hard to kind of stop it. And that's exactly what they've done. I think it was very important last night as well. They bounced back from the defeat against um, St. Pat's last week because that could have could have really derailed them. Obviously, losing three two in the manner that they did last week. But the second half performance down to 10 men was brilliant and they obviously took that into the draw of the game to get the three points last night. It's huge for them. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, aside from on the pitch, off the pitch, uh, Jack Byrne, there's still a lot of chat going on about transfer there. Were you surprised that the, the, the offers were resisted? Yeah, because you look at it, um, I suppose it depends on the situation. His contract is up um, the end of the season, I think, and they could have cashed in on him. But if you hold on to Jack with the European stuff that's upcoming, they'd probably make more money in Europe with Jack in the team than what they probably would have got for him if they were to sell him on now. So maybe it was a, it was for the, it was obviously a footballing choice and also a financial decision because people think oh, if you cash in and you might have got two three hundred grand for him now, but the rewards that are on offer in Europe, Reggie, and obviously mm. if they can get a run in Europe, that'll quadruple or yeah. like you could even multiply that by five or six times. Obviously, if they get a good run in Europe, so I think it's important for Shamrock Rovers to try and hold on to their best players, and obviously Jack is one of them. Whether it was down to Jack, maybe his own personal decision in wanting to go. But I'd say it came from the, he might have wanted to go, but I'd say it came from the club in the sense that we're a better team with Jack Byrne in the team and with what's to come in terms of Europe, the money we can make, we want to keep our best players. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The influence he can have when he's fully fit is, is, is immeasurable, Alan. And obviously the initial target this year is, is the four in a row, which hasn't been mentioned for a little while. But that's the, the primary objective and they've got a far better chance of achieving that with uh, Jack Byrne in the team than had he, had he gone to the States because they've lost players at different times, like the likes of Danny Mandreo last year and one or two others over the years as well. So it's a sign of intent, I think, from the Rovers board that they're able to, uh, to maintain uh, Jack t- till the end of the year although most likely they, they are going to lose him on, on a free transfer unless something happens in the summer transfer window Yeah it'll be interesting to see what comes the end but but I think it's good and as you say a good statement from Shamrock Rovers the fact that they want to hold on to him and, and that's where we want the league to get to that obviously it's very much a developmental league with young lads getting opportunities and you mentioned Mandrown there's many more that have gone away very young but I think Jack is 26 now and we want to get to a stage in the league where the best players are here playing and obviously challenging for winning league titles which Shamrock Rovers are doing and then obviously going on and progressing and doing very well in Europe and you'll only achieve that really if you keep the best players in the league Yeah across the water then uh, just to uh, touch on it um, we seem to be it sounds like we're United bashing we don't mean to but I mean they're bringing it on themselves that was just it was just such a poor performance by the week uh, during the week by them against Sevilla wasn't it? Oh, it was dreadful Reggie really bad when you consider the stage of competition you're at European level away from home against tough opposition a game that should kind of it, it should be mouth-watering for those players to be involved in games like that and the approach was so tepid and so hard They looked leggy didn't they? They just looked wrecked They just didn't look yeah, in the game Yeah, that as well they played a lot of, but there, a lot of those lads that have come into the team haven't really been playing Reggie as mm. well you know so Then I, they shouldn't I be leggy think, Yeah, I just think the likes of Lindelof or not, sorry, Maguire mm. Dallo, Martial these lads have had numerous chances and they're making the same mistakes now over and over for the last two or three years and I think the only kind of silver lining that might come out of it and, and I don't think it needed that performance to show Ten Hag I'm sure he was aware of it already but these lads are just not good enough Will there be clear out? Will there be a clear at the uh, end of the season? There has to be Reggie There yeah. has to be But the only problem with that is the wider debate then is if you look at obviously the ownership and what's going on there will funds be available for him because the money that's going to be needed to strengthen that squad in terms of trying to overtake Arsenal or Man City or Real Madrid or whoever the team's at the top at the moment like it's going to be astronomical numbers again and they've already spent astronomical money so um, it's it's a difficult one for Ten Hag but certainly those players the likes of Maguire Dallow Martial 
these fellas have had your day like and they're just not good enough for Man United yeah and it's actually you feel sorry looking at them you really do feel sorry yeah. for them you know yeah. which is not the way you should be talking about uh, footballers I mean I know uh, Declan Drake is shaking his head here doesn't mean it <laughs> feel a bit sorry but on a human level I feel sorry for the likes of Maguire he just looks he, he gets, broken he gets bombarded as well yeah he gets he the abuse like so oh and, my. and that has to take its toll and, and, and whatever about his footballing ability I say Psychologically, yes. as you said, he's just broken at this stage. Yeah. I, think, I think people go to Manchester United, Alan, to further their career. It's <laughs> had the opposite effect on Harry Maguire. Yeah, yeah well, it has. And, and sometimes you just reach your level, and, and he's just not at that level, unfortunately. Sport Indoors is a platform that connects elite athletes with brands and opportunities globally. One of those athletes is jockey uh, Brian Cooper. Delighted to be joined on the phone by him now. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Uh, um, great, thanks. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, and I suppose uh, the reason we're having a chat with you is because uh, you recently announced your retirement from racing as a jockey. And uh, it was uh, probably somewhat of a surprise to a lot of the racing community in that you're still quite young, just 30 years of age. What made you decide to retire so early? Um, I suppose it was, it was a decision I, I was contemplating for a while. Uh, I was probably it probably happened a little bit sooner than I thought, but it was something that just kind of gathered up on me, and it was a decision I had to make for myself going forward. But I'm very content with that decision. Then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I suppose uh, for us on the outside looking in, we probably don't realise just um, you know how physical a sport it is. I know from talking to the likes of Ruby in the in the past, and uh, you know the bangs and the knocks and. In, in horse racing as a jockey they're quite serious was there anything to do with injury that maybe affected your decision yeah I suppose I, um, I was probably I had multiple injuries over over my career they all, and they all probably caught up with me over, over a period of time and they probably reflected in the decision that, that made me probably announced a bit earlier than, than most other jockeys and, but um I'm kind of happy I'm walking away on my own terms as such and um, we're looking forward to the future Absolutely well that future it is great always to walk away in your own terms and not be forced out of a sport uh, I know that from personal experience so that future I mean your your dad is trainer Tom Cooper and you've been involved uh, with different yards and Pet- Kevin Prendergast etc is that the future for you are you interested in going down that road of training? Uh, no I probably won't go training to be mm-hmm. honest um, I just, I've just seen kind of the the, the good and the bad days of it. It's not, it's not something that interests me at the minute, but I'm leaving all options open. Yeah, and uh, I suppose I'm hoping to get maybe more involved in the media side of things and maybe the blood sock world as well. So that's the plan at the minute. Right, um, it's been a pretty crazy two weeks, to be honest. Now, so still trying to find my feet a bit, and um, we're probably looking forward to punch till next week. Got a bit of work to do there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. I know uh, that time when you do make that decision to stop from sport. Suddenly, it's you. You're kind of looking around. You're going, uh, "What do I do now? Or where, what's happening?" Um, but I suppose uh, over the career that you've had, you had over 500 win- winners and won the Cheltenham Gold Cup back in 2016. Was that the highlight of your career? Uh, it would have been. Yeah, it's the it's the pinnacle of of, of jump racing. You know. Mm. Um, it was a race I would have dreamt about as a child of winning and I was very lucky to win it at such a young age so um, there's memories there that I, 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 I'll never forget you yeah. know and um, there's um, we had some amazing days and um, I, you know, it, it, it was amazing it was a great journey 
Absolutely, they can imagine. I mean, it, it seems like a real community, the whole horse racing industry. Everybody knows everybody and you'd have news from inside, you know, the yards of other horse trainers and uh, jockeys that would be working together. Um, I suppose that community now would probably rally around during retirement um, and, and, and you can tap into that network. Yeah, look, it's a fantastic community. Um, everyone is there, out there to look after each other, you know, for the trainers, owners, um, stable staff, you know, they're always looking for the best thing they can do for everyone. So I'm, I'm looking forward to still being involved in it and, um, you know, giving as much as I can give back to what it, what it, what it gave to me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose I have to ask you the question after the Grand National, there was uh, lots of debate about the sport. I mean, there seems to be a lot of things that have been done to make it safer for horses and jockeys likewise. I mean, with all the talk about the horses, um, I, I was wondering why people weren't maybe pointing a little bit more towards the dangers for the jockeys as well. Uh, but that controversy um, and the animal rights campaigners, you know, can you see where they're coming from or do you feel that, you know, it's unwarranted, that type of criticism? Uh, look, I think last Saturday, um, I think they caused more harm than, 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 than the race itself, you know. Um, the horses are looked after better. It's, it's a five-star hotel, you know, in every stable yard. Um, they're, they're looked after second to none. And... Um, I think what we done last weekend at Aintree was um, it was disappointing to see, and, and and they probably caused more damage themselves, the protesters, than than what they realised. You know, if if they, if they only knew how well the horses were looked after, and, and 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 the homes they have, they should probably kind of take a step back and look at that before they start taking more action. Maybe. Yeah, I I found it interesting during the week. Yeah, you know, I I listened to both sides of the argument, and I suppose the place where it fell down from the protesters' point of view was they didn't really have an answer to the question was put to them. You know, there are fifty thousand thoroughbred uh, racehorses throughout the UK. What's going to happen to them? Where are they going to go? And what you know, what did they propose would happen to them if uh, if horse racing was banned? Yeah, look, they, they, look, they they had all these accusations, but I don't think they had any answer ready to questions that they were asked. So um, it was it was upsetting to see that the carry on that they caused last week, and I hope it doesn't happen again. But look, um, I'd love to see them do a little bit more research before they start throwing daggers at people, you know, yeah. and, and, and the questions with what answers they are throwing, you know questions that they can't, they can't answer. Themselves, yeah. I hear you have a solution on, on hand if that's going to be the case. Yeah, well, it's a, a debate that will roll on. There's no doubt about it. That's part of, of the game and I suppose it's, of course, all sport. There's always uh, things that people think could be done better. Okay, you said you're going to punch us down. Um, so, any sort of... Uh, what, what's that festival looking like? That's always a big festival too. It's a fantastic week. Um, it's the end of our season, but it's probably the biggest festival of, of the year in Ireland, you know. Um, to be massive crowds there's there's um, it's, it, 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 it's, there's so many grade one races there um, all the Cheltenham horses will probably appear up and it's a week I love obviously I'll be seeing it from a different perspective this year yeah but um, it's you know it's just they, they do a great job there of, of entertaining everyone and I can't wait for it Declan Drake as well. Morning, Declan. How are you? 
Oh, very well, Reg. Thank you. Yourself? Uh, good, yeah. Looking forward to a good weekend of sport. I'm really looking forward to your GAA coverage, which is coming up uh, next. A huge weekend of GAA coming as well. But uh, it's rugby time now. Did you get to see any of the rugby last week? Munster had a brilliant win over in South Africa. I didn't, unfortunately, no. But I was keeping abreast of it all right. And uh, you're right. It certainly was a fantastic uh, weekend, indeed, for, for the Irish provinces. And uh, I suppose we'll start with that Munster victory in, in South Africa. Always a tough place to go and get a result. But the boys in red uh, did exactly that unbelievable I tell you that you, you know people will under maybe underestimate this I mean I remember the great Gloucester game and these matches the, the miracle games that Munster have pulled out of the bag in the past I don't think people quite realise the enormity of this win away from home from a Munster perspective the effect that that's going to have on their standing in the table and the knock-on effect of that in terms of the Champions Cup is enormous uh, and it was a huge win uh, for them last week I mean that was a very fancied um, side that, that they had to you know to, to, to beat last weekend and uh, I, I think you know, it was touch and go for a while there. It didn't know. It was hard to know exactly which way it was going to go because, uh, you know, Munster were they were battling hard against the Stormers, but the Stormers looked like they they could just come back and get it done. But again, they just pulled out this incredible performance. Uh, huge, huge games um, from a, a, a lot of their key men as well. And I suppose Graham Rowntree somewhat justified in his selection as well. Um, people wondering about the the, the, the fact that maybe. There was no room um, at 10 with Crowley going in there and starting at 10 and Conor Murray starting at 9. But, you know, it, it proved right in the end and a really, really good performances. The back row were amazing. Coombs, O'Mahony, outstanding. I think O'Mahony got man of the match, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Klein and Steinman in the second row were incredible as well. Because don't forget, they were up against a, a phenomenal uh, Stormers side. So from a Munster point of view, it was a really, really important uh, win on the road. But I also think given the way their season has gone so far I think it'll give them a, a much needed shot in the arm to, to uh, give them that confidence that they needed you know Great to see them back competing again the game certainly uh, needs them so well done to them on that from a Leinster perspective Reg <laughs> the uh, the double dream remains uh, alive but uh, they didn't have it all the long way down under in, in South Africa either No they didn't but the thing about this Declan is this is a game that you thought they never should have or could have won. They're playing against the Lions who are a bit of a naive outfit, there's no question about it. Uh, but they went down there with a, lo- a huge band of their younger players, some players that uh, a lot of the supporters probably didn't even know or they're not certainly not household names. Some people were calling it a third string side. They were losing for the entire game. Um, they were down to f- uh, 14 players uh, at, at one stage uh, yellow cards um, they were down to 13 actually at one stage yellow card for McCarthy and Chris Cosgrave um, and still managed to somehow come back having been you know well down they were 26-14 down at one stage and uh, they came back from a 15 point deficit and won it at the death um, with a kick of goal Sam Prendergast and again another person Sam Prendergast uh, coming out uh, as a bit of a star in, in in all of this and probably talked up a little bit too much during the week by media and papers have been the, the next out half for Ireland but a, a phenomenal performance uh, by him as well and um, Leinster like everybody was kind of scratching their head going how how are they doing it how, how are they managing to get these results um, and it just seems to be that 
you just cannot write them off. So, uh, yeah, it was it, it was a fantastic performance on the road, and they didn't even need it. That's the point. Like, I mean, this whole trip was about trying to, um, you know, Sean O'Brien's coach down there, interim coach, to to to, to look after the tour. Um, there's people back here focusing on the champions. Cup next week, obviously huge game against Toulouse coming up. So they're in the incredible position of being able to send out a squad of younger players down there to basically blood them and basically give them experience of playing the top level with a, a second screen coaching staff as well, uh, and still go and get the yeah, job amazing. done. It's, it is amazing. It is amazing yeah. as well. Well done to the boys in blue. As you say, Toulouse in the uh, Champions Cup semi final to come next Saturday. It was uh, Ulster got the job done last weekend as well. So three three out of three for the for the provinces there. Yeah, and last night as well, Ulster got a good victory uh, too against um, Edinburgh. Uh, funny sort of a game last night they won 28-14 they were behind initially um, I thought I, I felt a little bit for Edinburgh Ulster deserved their victory no question about that but I certainly felt there was some strange refereeing decisions in the game and it's funny Declan there's been a lot of talk lately about refereeing decisions and I saw in England um, Jack Noel got a £10,000 fine for tweeting uh, about a poor refereeing decision in the uh game was at the Exeter game last week and I have to say, looking at it myself, I thought it was a poor decision uh, a player got a yellow card long story short for coming in in what was termed as an illegal way uh, and it was his second yellow card so it was a sending off offence in the end but for tweeting a £10,000 fine now, I mean, I know you hear fines of ten grand with soccer players and more with soccer players and you don't think much of it but ten grand's actually a lot to a rugby player yeah. there's no question yeah. about I'm it sure, I'm sure somebody out there will be able to work out how, ma- how many uh, pounds that is per character of a tweet. Yeah, you know, characters, isn't it? You know, and stuff. the funny thing was that he wasn't alone. There was lots of former players and other uh, pundits and everybody else who were who were in agreement that it was a, a bad decision and a strange decision. Um, and again, it just it just highlights the way rugby is going. It's very, it's gone with the refereeing. I mean, it's it's just. It, it's in a funny place at the moment. There's decisions being made. There's a lot of, uh, you'd call it VAR in soccer, we call it video uh, refereeing in, in rugby, um, where they're making analysis and they're making calls. And it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's a funny one. But also, there's a little bit of world rugby stamping their authority on all of this, you know. Um, and you'd wonder what it's going to do to the game players that can't even have an opinion, you know. So it's yeah. a strange one. Strange one indeed. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, to this weekend, and as you say, Leinster have that Champions Cup semi-final uh, next week at the Aviva Stadium. But uh, themselves and Munster have... Uh, tough enough games this weekend as well to negotiate yeah well they're on the road again they're still in South Africa Leinster have the Bulls and that is a tough one no question about it uh, again with a, a younger side uh, being picked Munster have the Sharks um, you could argue the easier of the of the fixtures uh, but at the same time they've got the likes of Inche, Dutoy um, Grobler Khaleesi playing for the Sharks it, it's it, it's uh, it's a good Sharks team, there's no question about it, and um, it, it'll be a tough one for them. But they've gone all out again, Munster. You know, they've picked the likes of O'Mahony and Kendallin and Coombs. Same thing again, Murray and Crowley, that combination of 10. So they've trusted the team that, that did, got the job done last uh, weekend. So they're um, 
you know they're going with that but it's going to be a tough one for them to try and get a victory over the Sharks and uh, Leinster over the Bulls but after last week's results you can't write either of them off No you certainly can Well the big one of course this weekend is the TikTok Six Nations Women's Rugby that continues Ireland entertaining England at Musgrave Park um, this afternoon I'm looking at an article here uh, Reg in the, this morning's Irish Examiner by Kira Griffin and the headline is uh, England are on top of Karen Tuchel Ireland below in the car park Mm. It really sums it all up, doesn't it? It does, and it, this is a worrying game. Um, you know, it's in Musgrave Park, and there's been a huge amount of talk all week, and for the last three weeks uh, around the women's game, and it's 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 so disappointing that it's gotten to this stage again. Um, it's like it's not like we haven't been here before. Um, they're, they're, first and foremost, I think what you have to say is there's a massive amount of support in Ireland for this women's team and uh, there's and, and, and it sounds condescending I don't mean to when you say sympathy you know there's sympathy for the women that are going out to try and play this match because they're up against such um, strong opposition uh, and, and the sympathy doesn't lie with the fact that they're playing against a really good team it just lies with the fact that they're just under resourced you know and that they're not uh, they're not being given a fair crack of the whip and I think that's that's where the support is coming for them um, and I think at this stage there isn't a person who's serious about rugby or really knows the game that isn't of that opinion that it's just not being dealt with properly they're not getting a fair crack of the whip and they're not being given the resources and, and, and everything else that they need and what's most disappointing about it is is that there are supposed to be review committees in place there are supposed to be boards who are looking after this and uh, and, and, and making it so that this isn't the case yet here we are and that's the biggest question and the second the most disappointing thing about it is that you know it's the players and the coaches that are being wheeled out to try and answer these questions and they can't answer them that's the reality they, they're not able to answer these questions it needs to come from somebody um, higher up uh, to give clear purpose or uh, you know um, insight as to what is actually being done and what the plan is to make this better because this is not going to get any better uh, I saw Stephen Jones wrote an article uh, during the week uh, last weekend in, in the paper we highlighted it here on the show as well last week it's now getting to the point Declan where it's becoming dangerous you know you've got uh, elite professional athletes playing for England and France who are being well paid and compensated to uh, be the best in their sport they've done nothing wrong they're, they're going to go out and do everything they can to put a, a, a record score up against Ireland and you have under-resourced amateurs going out against them and that's where the danger comes in and this is the fear uh, it was highlighted by Steve Jones I said it last week and I'd still feel that that you know you, you really need to be uh, careful of, of where this is going because um, the danger is that somebody could get hurt so I mean the, the, the bottom line is there needs to be a clear policy laid out and uh, I think People need to start listening to, to the players. I'd, I'd be the first to admit I don't know an awful lot about rugby and the ins and outs of it, uh, either on the field or indeed what may happen in boardrooms and, and that as well. But this, the apathy, it seems, from the people who run the game in the country towards the women's team is, is astonishing. Are there similarities here, Reg, to what was happening with the women's football team a few years ago, or is that too simplistic? Uh, well, no, I think uh, I think women's sport is 
really only coming becoming mainstream now in these particular sports. You, you know, the likes of tennis and golf and other sports like that have advanced way beyond uh, where th- th- these sports are for, for women. Um, GA, perfect, perfect example. I said it last week, Declan, they have 188,000 uh, and, and rising participants in uh, Ladies GA. They've got proper advertisers, sponsors, um, uh, competition in place and an All-Ireland final that pretty much is you know, 50,000, 60,000 every, every year now. Uh, it took a little bit of time to get there, but but uh, they're there. And uh, as I said, it's the fastest growing women's sport in the country, bar, bar none. So, I mean, that's, you know, a lesson that both the FAI and uh, rugby could take from from the GA um, and look at how they've done that but uh, you know that, that it takes planning it takes strategy and unfortunately we've been told that that is happening in, at, at board levels and committees and that there are people on it but there's a feeling and I've spoken to a lot of people within the sport there's a feeling that there's an element of tokenism there that it's just um, you know we're put, we've, put, we've put four women on a board or on a committee so it's going to get fixed it's not it needs to be the right women who know the sport know the game, know what is needed um, and um, can advise in that capacity and then uh, a, a, a rea- the reality is that has to be taken seriously and those structures have to be put in place. You would certainly fear for the Irish women going out against England this afternoon to say England are fully professional, they can get back on the plane to London or whatever tonight yeah. and chill and relax and, and all the rest of it in, in, in comfort, whereas our girls have to go back to college, school or, or work mm. on, on Monday just really shows the, the huge gulf b- between them. What's a Dare I say, what's a good result for us down there? Well, the, the sad thing is we're talking about damage limitation here. So if they could keep it um, to without being a cricket score, uh, that that would be a, a good result. I mean, from a coaching perspective, Greg uh, McWilliams and, and these the other coaches will be saying they just want, uh, you know, a performance. That's that's what they look for is a performance that they go out and they perform to the best of their ability, but it could fall apart a little bit quickly and um, then the heads could go and, and that's the danger you know so that's that's the worry about it but uh, yeah I mean I, like I said there's there's nothing but support I think that's why there's such a public outcry is because people are really supporting uh, this women's team and want them to do well I know there's a bit of a movement going on to try and get down there and uh, support them with uh, banners and uh, all of that kind of stuff so um, uh, maybe that'll make a bit of an impression Um you know, they they do give a, a an F blank blank K is the banners that are going to be used and uh, put around there because in reaction to that famous quote from uh, last week's article where apparently somebody at a dinner said that they didn't. So um, let's just see what happens. Uh, but uh, you know, damage limitation is the, is the thing for today. Like, unfortunately, well, we certainly wish them all, all the best. Mm. I mean, they are. Uh, ambassadors for, for our country and uh, let's hope that they can uh, get as they say a performance although they'd want to do a lot better perhaps than they did against the Italians Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself Ken and Reggie Have a good weekend <laughs>